invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 682 there in front of you. Um, and just a couple of comments I would make as we're transitioning to the sermon. One, thanks to Mark and Joel for leading last week. Um, everybody else left town, and um, they stayed in a really wonderful job in ministry. So thanks to both of you for leading last week. Micaiah, thank you for being with us and leading us in worship. We're so glad to have you today. Um, Micaiah is a student at Sanford and was kind enough to come over and lead for us today, so thank you for doing that. Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. Matthew writes, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What can you learn about someone from just their last name? What can you learn from some, about someone just about their last name? Here's what I mean. Imagine that you're in Mississippi and you're coaching youth football and one of the kids that signed up, his last name is Manning. And there might be a part of you that thinks, could this be? Right? Right? There are these high expectations you'd probably have for this kid. Um, imagine if you're at a tech conference and someone comes into your uh, breakout group named, and their last name is Gates or Jobs or Musk. That's the one I want to meet, right? These last names have a way of speaking to us and giving us some sense of the person, perhaps the family they belong to, perhaps... Sometimes those last names influence us so much that they open up doors. Like the kid named Manning that's on the small team in Mississippi probably has a good chance at being the quarterback. I'm just saying. But sometimes those last names also come with these preconceived notions of what that person must be like and how they must be able to perform. Imagine being born a Manning and not liking football, or being terrible at it. There are these huge kind of expectations placed on you to live into or to be able to match everyone's expectations for who you are and what you can accomplish. Jesus, I think, in his earthly ministry, faced somewhat of a challenge like this. And when Jesus came to the earth as the Son of God, there were all these expectations that people had for what he would be like and how he would carry out his life and his ministry. And really, one of the big themes that you see as you read the Gospels is everybody struggling to understand if Jesus is the Christ, then why is he doing fill in the blank? Why is he hanging with those people? Why is he doing this? And so one of the things that I want us to see in our passage today is the way in which Jesus' baptism gives us insight into who he is as the Son of God and what it ought to say to us as 
those who get to be called children of God through our faith in Christ. Now, I did not grow up with a season in the church calendar called Epiphany. Perhaps you didn't either. But as I've kind of gotten in the groove of the church calendar, one of the things that's so fascinating to think about is that we've just come out of Advent, where we long for Christ to come. We celebrate Christ's birth. And now we're looking at his baptism. And I think at each point along the way, you and I are clued in to that fact that God's up to something in Jesus that you and I perhaps wouldn't have expected. In Matthew, when we hear about the visit of the wise men or the Magi, where do they go looking for the one who's been born king of the Jews? Where do they go? Where would you go if you're looking for a king? Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem looking for the king. I love asking questions in sermons because everybody's real nervous. I think it's Jerusalem, but there's no way I'm saying it, right? I'm like, no, it's not. Anyways, it's Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem looking for a king because that's where kings ought to be. And they go to King Herod and they're like, hey, where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? Surely he's here, but he's not there. Where is he? Bethlehem, there you go. So he's in Bethlehem where he's born. He ends up going to a town that starts with an end called Nazareth, okay, eventually. And do you remember when one of the disciples said, can anything good come from where? Nazareth. Jesus, as he comes to the earth as the Son of God and the Messiah, he's not playing by the playbook that everybody expected he would. He's confusing their expectations, and he's going to people in out-of-the-way, small-town places like where I'm from. I always love telling somebody, like, where are you from? And I go to big dots on the map and work my way out. Greenville? Know that. Spartanburg? Chesney? And like, usually you have to have been there to know where that is. Jesus comes into the world to Mary and Joseph in this out-of-the-way place, and over and over again, Jesus is helping us to see that God works in ways that you and I wouldn't always expect, among people that you and I wouldn't always expect. And when he comes to be baptized, if you and I can read and hear the passage with fresh ears, I think we'll be surprised at what God's doing here. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, we're introduced to this really great, awesome like crazy uncle from Christmas named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and he's one of those people, again, that would make most of us a little uncomfortable. He's dressed in these crazy clothes. He's out in the wilderness. He's preaching about a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, and people are drawn to this guy. Flocks are going out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. And then there's a group of people that show up, that don't get the welcome that you would hope to get if you were coming to be baptized. Matthew talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out to be baptized. Imagine this morning if one of you came forward at a time of invitation and you said, I want to follow the Lord, I want to be baptized, and I said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you snake? You're like, whoa, a little harsh? That's what John the Baptist does when these religious people that look good on the outside, that kind of, kind of play in this religious game, they come out to be baptized, and rather than welcoming them, he wants to prohibit them from being baptized. Why? 
likely because these folks were really about the outward appearance of everything. And so the crowd seemed to be going toward John the Baptist, and so it seems expedient for them as religious leaders to also get in on the party. And so they go out there, and John the Baptist is like, no way. You can't be a part of this. Unless what? Unless you're sincere. Unless there's some desire within you to actually live a life consistent with your repentance. But if you're coming out here just to say some stuff and get dunked in some water, it's sitting for you. But bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Live a life that's consistent with this confession of faith that you're making and walk in a way that's worthy of that. And the very next thing in Matthew's gospel, what happens? Chapter 4, I mean, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Feel free to look down and follow along. What happens? Jesus comes out to be baptized. Now remember, John the Baptist is preaching a baptism for what? Repentance. And so as you're reading the Gospels, it ought to kind of make your antenna stand up like, what does Jesus need to repent of? Why, why would he need to go out and be baptized and to repent of his sins? And that's what John thinks too. You see what he says there in chapter 3, verse 14. John would have prevented Jesus from being baptized. He says, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming out here to be baptized by me? And what I think is meant to excite you as you read the Bible, John tries to prevent the scribes and the Pharisees of the Sadducees from being baptized because their heart's not in the right place. And he tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized because he knows that he's the righteous, holy one of God who doesn't need to be baptized. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus does not say, well, John, actually, there was this time in middle school I need to confess about. He doesn't say there's this thing that I did that I need to confess. But he affirms what John thinks. He's like, John, I, I know. Like, in a way, this is not right. I don't need to repent for any sins. But let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Let it be so now because in this moment, Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like for us to live as a child of God. Think about that for a moment. Be glad you don't work on the church staff. Just this past week, I was talking with Mary and Mark about my sermon. And this could happen to them any day. Like Mark's in the hall. I'm like, Mark, can you believe that John the Baptist like, actually stood there and baptized Jesus? Like touched him? Next thing you know, Mark fills my hand on his shoulder. I'm like, can you imagine what it was like to be there with Jesus in the water, touching him, like bringing him down and raising him up, knowing that he didn't need to do that. But he's out there because I think in part he's showing us that obedience to the Father's will is what's of primary importance to the Lord and not just outward acts of religion. Not just going through motions of things to try to check it off and be religious, but, but what God is concerned about is us yielding our lives to his will 
And getting to this point in our faith where we're not so much concerned about, can I do this or can I do that? Is this allowed or is that required? Joel may have not had this conversation yet, but one of the great things in youth ministry is when a student comes to you and is like, yeah, but can I do this? And you're like, yeah, but you're missing the point. Or can I, well, I don't know. But likely all of us, at some point in our life of faith, we're asking those questions. Do I have to do this? Am I allowed to do this? Is this enough? And Jesus comes and he's baptized. Not so much because he needed to be baptized. He didn't. But he's coming to model for us what it looks like to love the Father in a way that you want to yield your life to the Father's plans and purposes in your life. And it's not always about whether or not you're earning righteousness or you can or you can't. And he hears that voice when he comes up that says what? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If you're here and you have a child, one of the things that you love as a parent more than anything is what? Obedience. Like an obedience that flows not just from threats. I mean, every now and then we have to deteriorate to threats, don't we, parents? Every now and then there has to be like real, you know, this is going to happen if you don't do this. But our goal, our hope, our higher dream is that our kids would say, wow, my mom and my dad, they love me so much. And even if I don't understand why they want me to do this, or why I can't do that, I'm just going to roll with it because my obedience is flowing from this love and respect that I have for my parents. In a similar manner, I really think that's what God's going for in our lives. That it's not so much that God intends to tell us all the whys for who he calls us to be in this world, but we're meant to respond to all that he's done for us in Jesus with this overarching love for him and this desire to walk in the way to which he's called us to walk, trusting that that's the path to joy and happiness and ultimately the way we're going to glorify him the most. And so God's calling us, I think, on this day of epiphany as he reveals his son to us in baptism to think about what it looks like for us to grow in love and faith and obedience, not because we have to, but because we love him and we desire to be all that he's called us to be. Do you know what happens right after Jesus' baptism? He goes out into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And listen to what the tempter says in Matthew chapter 4. This is so great. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Do you notice how he's appealing to Jesus' kind of sense of pride in his title? Hey, if you are the Son of God, show us. Do something here. Turn this, these stones into bread. And how does Jesus respond? By quoting Scripture to him. And he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. Obedience, even when the tempter appeals to his sense of pride and his right and what he can do, Jesus responds 
that obedience is what God's called him to in this moment. To be the son of God is not to show how great and awesome he is. It's to show how he can yield his will to the Father's will and move forward. The next thing, throw yourself down from this high place. If you are the son of God, do this. And again, he says, no. He quotes scripture back to him. He says, ultimately, it's to trust in God, not to put him to the test. That's how I'm revealing that I am the Son of God, not by doing all these awesome things, but by yielding myself to the Father's will. Church, I think, becomes real fun when we get to the point where we're not so much asking, do I have to, or can I, or is this required? And we're asking ourselves, Lord, what would it look like for me to respond to you and your will in obedience, out of love and respect and fear for who you are? And say, Lord, what would it look like for me to follow you in that? Next Sunday, not next Sunday, the next Sunday, we're going to start a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I told the 9 o'clock group to just buckle up. Sermon on the Mount's tough. Penetrating stuff. And in one of the passages we'll look at, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. And the scribes and the Pharisees were letter of the law people. If there was a righteousness that they could attain through being good enough by following the laws, they would have had it. And what I think Jesus is getting at, and what we're going to be looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, is that there is this righteousness that exceeds that, and it's a righteousness that responds not to earn anything from God, but in faith and in love, and we open ourselves up. And it's a harder form of Christianity than just checking boxes and doing and not doing, but it's also this rewarding and rich life of discipleship the Lord calls us to. As our heart is to understand the heart of the lawgiver, we just say, Lord, use us for your plans and your purposes in this place. So I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me. That the Lord would give us an understanding of, of our faith that's beyond just kind of following rules or doing things or not doing things. And that we want to just sincerely yield ourselves to God's will and obedience and follow where it is that he leads. Because I think that is the life of Christianity and faith that will bring us joy and that he will be glorified in us. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the incredible privilege you give us to be your children through faith in Christ. That you adopt us into your family by faith, and that you allow us to move in the world and to bear your name. Lord, we pray that as we live our lives, if we're at school or if we're at work, if we're in our families, that people would be surprised that we are people who are, who are marked more by the love of Christ and we're willing to lay our lives down and yield ourselves to your purposes, not out of a sense of obligation, not out of a sense of duty per se, but because we trust you and want to yield our lives to your plans and your purposes. So do that work, we pray. We, we pray that you would be well pleased with us. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.